Well, this morning, I would invite you to turn with me in your copy of the Holy Scriptures again to Ephesians chapter number 6, Ephesians chapter number 6. As you are turning to Ephesians 6, allow me to tell you a story, a story that Paul Harvey once told. It was late in the fall of 1977. Terry wanted to buy a Christmas present for her husband, David, but living on his policeman's salary, she feared they couldn't afford it. Nevertheless, she went down to the store and found just the right gift, but alas, as she feared, she didn't have enough money to buy it. Then she had an idea. She boldly asked the shopkeeper if, he, if she might pay a little now and a little more over time as she was able Okay, said the shopkeeper, I'll tell you what. Since your husband is a police officer and I feel that I can trust you, give me the first payment today. I'll wrap up the gift for you and you can take it home. Come back and pay me the balance whenever you get the money. She was elated. And as she walked out of the store that day, so anxious to give the gift to her husband, that of course you know how it goes. It's hard to keep a secret or suppress the excitement when you want to give a gift to someone you love. So that night, rather than waiting for Christmas, she gave the gift to her husband, David, and he was thrilled at her thoughtfulness. It was something that he had always wanted. Neither David nor Terry realized, however, how significant that simple gift would prove to be. Just a few days later, David was working the night shift when he got a call on his police radio. A drugstore robbery was in process, Racing to the scene, he arrived just in time to observe the suspect getting into his car and speeding away. Quickly, David switched on his siren and began the pursuit. Three blocks later, the getaway vehicle suddenly pulled over to the side of the road and stopped. The suspect was still seated behind the wheel of the car as David cautiously approached the suspect. As he got about three feet away from the driver's door, it flew open and the suspect fired a 45 caliber pistol straight toward David's chest. Early that morning, Terry was awakened and answered the door of her house to see a police officer standing there. Carefully and calmly, he told her that he had some bad news and some good news. First, he told Terry that David had been shot while trying to apprehend a robbery suspect and upon hearing that, she immediately knew the good news, and she was glad she didn't wait until Christmas to give her gift to her husband. You see, the good news was that although David had been shot, he was still alive in the hospital, not with a gunshot wound, but with a deep bruise to his chest, because David was wearing the gift his wife could not afford to buy but could not wait to give a brand new bulletproof vest. And that, Paul Harvey says, is the rest of the story. Of course, today we know, the, we know it as the bulletproof vest, but for the ancients it was called the breastplate, for in every age man has understood the importance of protecting the chest. The breastplate of righteousness is the second piece of armor that we need to put on as we stand against the wicked one who wars against us. Ephesians 6, let's pick up in verse number 10. Finally, my brethren, or from now on, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. 
Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. This morning, a topical message in our summer series on spiritual warfare, the very last part there, verse number 14, the breastplate of righteousness. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, shall we? God in heaven, I ask just now, that your spirit will illumine the scripture text to us, give us understanding about this important piece of the armor of God. Lord, we recognize that we are at war with the wicked one, and you have called us to stand in your strength, having put on the armor of God. I pray, Lord, that you would give us insight and understanding just now so that we might be prepared for battle. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. The outline to my topical message this morning is pretty simplistic, forgive me for that. Let's begin with number one, simply the breastplate. The breastplate. A breastplate was the ancient name for the body armor that covered one's chest and protected one's vital organs. At times the breastplate was made of leather, at other times it was made of metal. Sometimes it was a single piece, a solid piece. At other times it was made of many different pieces that were bound together to provide some flexibility. We are familiar with the chain mail of the medieval knights in which small metal pieces, metal rings were linked together to perform a a piece of mesh to protect the chest. And of course, modern technologies like Kevlar and other materials are fashioned into lightweight vests that can be worn even under the clothing, perhaps like the bulletproof vest in Paul Harvey's story, perhaps like the one that I'm wearing right now that you, no, it's not true. And so a variety of of forms and shapes, but the, the bulletproof vest or the chest protector or the breastplate has always been critical because a central target in combat is the torso. The, the, the main body area. If you go to a shooting range today, they will often have paper targets of uh, the outline of a man's upper body and the bullseye is always where? It's always on the torso, somewhere in, in the chest. And the breastplate protected the torso, both the heart in the upper cavity of, of the torso and the, the gut and all that's in the gut of the midsection of the, of the body. And, and beyond the obvious physiological importance of those areas to the, bo- to the body, there was great symbolic significance of those areas to the Jews. And so for Paul here, as he's introducing this chest protector, this bulletproof vest, this breastplate, um, he has in mind first to protect the thinking of the heart the thinking of the heart. Now physiologically, the heart is the organ that pumps and circulates blood through our bodies to sustain our lives. However, to the ancient Jews, the heart represented the seat of man's essence and the source of man's expressions. The Bible says this, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he, that's essence. 
Jesus taught out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. That's expression. So today, when someone claims to be speaking their mind, they are really declaring who they are in their hearts. And for that reason, Proverbs calls us to guard our hearts with all diligence or keep our hearts with all diligence for out of it spring the issues of life. If Satan is going to aim his fiery darts at you, he's going to aim at your heart. That's the bullseye of your life. And the target is the deepest thinking processes of your being. And he targets your heart to introduce doubt and create confusion and question and misgivings regarding the truth. That was our study last week. And so we need a breastplate or a chest protector to protect the thinking of our hearts from the, from the attacks of the wicked one. The breastplate was also meant, letter B, to protect the feeling of the gut, the thinking of the heart, the upper cavity, and the feeling of the gut. Physiologically, we know the gut or the the bowels as the place of ingesting and digesting food to sustain life. However, to the ancient Jews, the gut or the bowels was associated with emotions. The feeling, for example. I'll give you this, 1 John 3, 17, but whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? Now, there's a better way to translate this in my humble opinion. The word heart there, you're looking at it there on the screen. The word, the the Greek word there translated heart in my New King James Version is not the Greek cardia for heart. We understand cardio or cardiac, cardia, heart. The Greek word is spalachna. And the old King James Version actually renders this most accurately as bowels of compassion. The splachna, it refers to the inner parts of the stomach area that the ancients understood as the seat, not of our thinking, that's the heart. We think in our heart, according to the ancients, but we feel in our gut in our stomach, in our splachna. We understand this in the vernacular when we say something affected us like a kick to the guts. Or upon hearing sad news, we say we are sick to our stomach. In the ancient world, the gut or the stomach or the bowels was the place of feeling. And Satan will try to confuse us in the thinking of our hearts, that's subpoint letter A, and he will try to corrupt us in the feelings of our of our gut, our splachna. Dr. Kevin Bowder often teaches on the proper or ordinate affections as he's distilled so much of what Jonathan Edwards has written on these matters. And Dr. Bowder explains that true Christianity is not just a matter of orthodoxy. We know that is right doctrine. But also orthopraxy, that's right practice. And then third, orthopathy, that's right feeling, these ordinate feelings. So it's one thing for us to ask and answer, what do you think about God? It's another thing to ask and answer, how do you feel about God? How do we think about ourselves? How do we feel about ourselves? How do we think about one another? How about how do we feel about one another? And folks, this is most often how we operate in life. We might say, I don't know what to think about that matter, but I'll tell you how I feel. As if somehow our feelings should trump our thinking. 
What are you saying? You're saying that I'm not so much driven by a rational decision. I'm really driven by a gut reaction. And it is in that moment that you need the body armor of a breastplate or the chest protector of a, of a bulletproof vest because Satan is attacking you in your guts. And so the breastplate is to protect the thinking of the hearts and the feeling of the, the guts. Practically speaking, I've, I've written this at the top of your notes, there's a spiritual warfare that is waged against us by the wicked one can be lethal if we do not protect the core of our being with a breastplate. So this week, in your home Bible fellowships, we have 20 different home Bible fellowships meeting on Wednesday evenings. If you're still interested in attending one of those, reach out to the church office, we can plug you in. But, but this is what you need to talk about. How do we guard the thinking of our hearts? How do we guard the feeling of our guts? For example, how does Satan get to our hearts? How does Satan get to our guts? And some answers might be through our eye gate, what we see. Through our ear gate, what we listen to. He will use every experience in our lives, whether good or bad, to influence the thinking of our heart and the feeling of our gut so that in combat, we might even say, don't confuse me with the truth. For this is what my heart is telling me, right? Or we might say, I don't know what's happening, but this is how I feel, really. You will train wreck in your Christian life if that's how you go to war. Remember, the heart is deceitful above all things. And if I were to follow my feelings this morning, I'd still be at home in bed, right? But my wife woke me up and said, you gotta go, you're the pastor. So (laughs) I had no choice. Now, lest we neglect the specificity of the text, the breastplate in Ephesians 6 verse 14, perhaps you still have it open before you, is not any old breastplate. It is what? It's the breastplate of righteousness, number two. The breastplate of righteousness. Now, what is the breastplate of of righteousness? I think there are three explanations. First, Let's go with personal righteousness. Personal righteousness, or you might put in parentheses there, self-righteousness. This was the claim of the scribes and Pharisees in Jesus' day. They thought that they had sufficient righteousness in themselves to maintain their purity because they kept the law perfectly, or at least they kept the law externally, you see. The apostle Paul said of those Pharisees, he said, if anyone else thinks they may have confidence in the flesh, I more so circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, I am blameless, Paul said as a Pharisee. But what did Jesus teach in his Sermon on the Mount? He said this, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, unless you do better 
than the most self-righteous man, you will never enter the kingdom of God. Therefore, Paul had to count his own personal self-righteousness as loss so that he might be saved. He said this, in Christ, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. The Bible makes it clear that there is none righteous, no, not one. The Bible makes it clear that we are justified, we are made righteous, not by the works of the law, not by self-righteousness or personal righteousness, but only rather by the mercy of God. It's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to God's mercy, he has saved us. So this morning, you might consider yourself to be a good person. You might consider yourself to be a model citizen, a righteous man. You may be sincerely a nice guy, but you and me, we are sinners who have fallen short of the glory of God. We are unable to make it right by our good works. So that unfortunately, many people today, they commit the very same error of those who've gone before us, like Israel, Romans chapter 10, being ignorant of God's righteousness. They went about to establish their own righteousness and did not submit to the righteousness of God. Folks, the breastplate of righteousness, therefore, cannot be our own personal self-righteousness. Rather, it must be, letter B, positional righteousness. Not personal righteousness, but positional righteousness. It's our standing in and upon the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That is Jesus' righteousness applied to our account when we believe. Paul spoke of that righteousness which is from God by faith. And that was the positional righteousness going all the way back to Abraham. The Bible says that Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. That word accounted can be, it is translated, imputed, or credited, or reckoned, or counted. In fact, Bible translators have translated that single Greek word with many different English words, but simply put, it means the action of God by where he assigns Christ's righteousness to our account, declaring us, the sinner, forgiven and fully justified. That is positional righteousness. And the breastplate of righteousness is the covering of Jesus' righteousness over those who have trusted in him by faith. Now, in Revelation, in Revelation 12, the Bible says that Satan accuses believers in the presence of God. Every day and every night, we don't know it, but the wicked one fires shots of accusation at us, at the saints. Accusing us of wrong and accusing us of sin and accusing us of unrighteousness and those shots at us are not lethal because we are robed, covered, protected by Christ's righteousness that has been imputed to us by faith. If you are a born again believer this morning in Jesus Christ, you have the breastplate of righteousness. You have the bulletproof vest of Christ's righteousness. It's bulletproof. And in that we can stand. Positional righteousness, but there's a, a third explanation for the breastplate of righteousness, and, and I'm gonna call it this. I'm gonna call it practical righteousness. Now, don't give up on me. I know your notes are complete, but, but, but this is important. There is a difference between letter A and letter C. 
positional righteousness in Christ, letter B, is what makes practical righteousness, letter C, possible. Because we have been robed and clothed in the righteousness of Christ, letter B, it is possible for us practically to live righteous lives, letter C. When one places their faith and trust in Christ, believing on the person and the work of Christ, alone for forgiveness of sin and eternal salvation, that one is declared righteous, justified, letter B. However, practically then, that one is called to live in light of their position and apply righteous principles to daily living. That is letter C, practical. It's what the old Puritans and Methodists used to call imparted righteousness. Now, imputed righteousness is letter B. Christ's righteousness imputed to the Christian, enabling justification. Imparted righteousness is what God does for man in Christ by the power of the Spirit after justification, working in the Christian, enabling him, empowering him, equipping him in the process of sanctification. Now, here's the problem with the terminology. Imparted righteousness is sometimes blurred and confused with the Roman Catholic doctrine of infused righteousness. We're deep in the weeds right now, all right? The Roman Catholic basis for their own justification, infused righteousness. That's not what we're, we're, we're talking about. I'm, I'm calling this practical righteousness, or you might put in parentheses there, holiness or holy living. We're commanded to be holy, and practically, as we walk in our Christian lives in a righteous way, that's practical righteousness. In his sermon from Matthew 22 about the man who went to the wedding feast of a king without wearing the proper attire, Charles Spurgeon has, has written a piece. I've copied it for you there in the back of your notes. I'll, I'll project it. Speaking of this practical righteousness or this holy living, holiness is always present in those who are loyal guests of the great king, for without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. Too many professors of faith, professing Christians, pacify themselves with the idea that they possess imputed righteousness, which we do if we've trusted Christ, while they are indifferent, apathetic, to the sanctifying work of the Spirit. They refuse to put on the garment of obedience. They reject the white linen, which is the righteousness of the saints. They thus reveal their self-will, their enmity to God, and their non-submission to his Son. Such men may talk what they will about justification by faith and salvation by grace, but they are rebels at heart and have not on the wedding dress any more than the self-righteous whom they so eagerly condemn, as we would as well. Spurgeon continues, no one ever had the imputed righteousness of Christ without receiving at the same time a measure of the righteousness wrought in us by the Holy Spirit. Justification by faith is not contrary to the production of good works, God forbid. The faith by which we are justified is the faith which produces holiness. No one is justified by faith, that's imputation of Christ's righteousness to us, which does not also sanctify him and deliver him from the love of sin. That's what I'm calling practical righteousness, letter C. So the difference between subpoint letter B and C in your notes are the difference between salvation and sanctification. Salvation being letter B, positional righteousness. Sanctification being letter C, practical righteousness. And I submit that together, 
Letters B and C are the breastplate of righteousness. So here's what you need to do in your notes. You need to cross out letter A. And then I don't have it for you on the screen, but you need to circle letters B and C. That is the breastplate of righteousness. If you are standing positionally rubbed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ by faith, letter B, you are empowered and enabled by the Spirit of God to practically live righteous lives by faith, letter C. In fact, we're commanded to do that. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. You received him by faith. By faith you walk in him. Abstain from every form of evil. Be holy. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. God is providing this. We simply need to put it on. There are countless other imperatives in the New Testament. And, and as we obey those commands and we live our lives in submission to the Lord, as we walk, which is, by the way, a theme in the book of Ephesians, as we walk, After the Lord, in the spirits, I submit that we are protecting ourselves with the breastplate of righteousness. Practically speaking, the choices that we make in our Christian life to obey the Lord and pursue conformity to him is what protects you from the shots of Satan. I want you to discuss this later this week in your home Bible fellowship. I am not suggesting a form of legalism. Understand that. Salvation by works, legalism. This is not legalism, but rather I am suggesting that there are lifestyle choices that we can make that will guard us from danger. I'm not suggesting a list of legalism, but the practice of of personal holiness. Let me give you one example. You'll come up with many more later this week as a church family as we discuss these things. If I put myself in the wrong place at the wrong time with the wrong people, there is a great possibility, probability, that Satan will use that to tempt me to do the wrong thing. You understand what I'm saying? So what would be practical righteousness I might claim the proverb 3, verse 20. He who walks with the wise will be wise, but a companion of fools will be destroyed. And so in wisdom, I'm pursuing practical righteousness to protect myself from the assaults of Satan. The breastplate of righteousness is the positional standing we have in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And it's also holy living. We can talk about it later this week. In closing, I offer you the encouraging words of John Newton. I've printed them for you there. Be encouraged this morning. I want you to be encouraged. He says this, though many foes beset you round and feeble is your arm, your life is hid with Christ in God beyond the realm of harm. Amen to that. That is our position in Christ. Weak as you are, you say, Pastor, that's me. You have no idea, Pastor, how weak I feel. Weak as you are, you shall not fade or fainting shall not die. Jesus, the strength of every saint, will aid you from on high. We are called to be strong in ourselves. No, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. 
the strength. Jesus is the strength of every saint and will aid you from on high. Though unperceived by mortal sense, we, we don't perceive this in our humanity, faith sees him always near, the, the eyes of faith, a guide, a glory, a defense, then what have you to fear? Fear not. As surely as he overcame and triumphed once for you, the resurrection power of Christ, so surely you that love his name shall in him triumph too. We can stand in the power, the strength of the risen Lord Jesus Christ, his righteousness which protects us like a bulletproof vest and then as we walk in the spirit in that practical righteousness. Let's pray. God in heaven, I pray for the men and the women, the children of Fourth Baptist Church, that you will preserve and protect them from the wicked one. Lord, we know that we are assaulted every day, every week. We are at war. Satan seeks to destroy us, to devour us. He tempts us. Lord, we feel weak, but we thank you for your righteousness. And Lord, I ask that you would help us to walk in the spirit, to stand in the strength of the Lord, to do right, that we might have victory. For I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.